right. Welcome back, listeners, to the Therapy for Real Life podcast. This is where we take therapy concepts and translate them into everyday self-care and principles that we should all keep in mind. And I'm very excited to welcome Tim Tiffany Johnson to the podcast, and she is an assistant professor in organizational behavior and received her PhD in management and organization at Penn State. And she also has a master's in human resources and industrial relations from the School of Labor and Employment Relations at the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana. And her research focuses on inequity and stigma in the workplace. And she tries to facilitate inclusion and well-being um, in a variety of contexts that she works in, including doing research in nonprofit settings, social enterprises, and academic institutions. And she is uh, published in the Journal of Applied Psychology, Organization Studies, and Industrial Organizational Perspectives. And I would love to say that I read about you in one of those places, but I did not. I actually found you. This says a lot about uh, creating community on social media because I actually found you on Instagram. So yeah. I thought that was so cool. Um, and I was actually just um, enjoying a simple pleasure for my own self. I was enjoying <laughs> my coffee on a Saturday morning. And I, you know, I think we met because we used some of the same hashtags. Mm -hmm. and hashtag change makers. Mm -hmm. And on your website, you, what actually, you know, provoked me to reach out to you is you had the most beautiful description of change maker on your site. And I, thought, wow, she's obviously thinking about this a lot. So I wanted to invite you on the podcast to hear more about your thinking on uh, who a change maker is. And then if we can get into a, a little bit about what therapy concepts you wish change makers knew more about. But why don't we just start, you know, tell me a little bit more about yourself, Tyler, our listeners, a little bit more about the work that you, that you do, you know, how you got started. What is it when, when, you know, grandma introduces you at a potluck and says, you should really get to know Tiffany, you know, tell me any kind of angle on that that you want. Yeah. So you, thank you so much for having me here. I'm really excited to be able to have this conversation with you. Um, so thank you. And also for thank you for reading about me. That bio would probably be something that my grandmothers, had they been around, still would want to be like, oh yeah, this is what she does because she's always talking about doing research and that doesn't, I mean, what does that even mean? I am still trying to figure out what that means and I've been doing it for a while now. So um, that's kind of what I do in my kind of uh, professional world on paper, my day job, you know. Um, I also... Uh, the way that you found me was through the Institute for Good Work, which is, um, it was a passion project turned nonprofit um, that I created based off of um, some research that I had been doing during my doctoral studies. And it's, it's research that I'm still doing now. I've always been interested in, um, or as long as I can recall, always been interested in different cultures. Uh -huh very much so been interested in because of my own parents and their history and their work and my grandparents and their history been very much so interested in the experience of black folks of african americans in this country and all over the world 
mm-hmm. and especially within organizations and workplaces. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one kind of stream of interest that I always kind of, that kept on kind of being developed over my life, even though I wasn't even aware that it was becoming developed. Um, my dad worked for a nonprofit, so I was, I lived in nonprofits. I say like I grew up in, in a nonprofit, right? I was there for after school programming. It's the Martin Luther King Center at Illinois. It also housed the Boys and Girls Club. And so I think living in the household with my dad and my mom, and then my, my mom also worked at the local YWCA. So she was helping women with their annual exams and helping to advocate for that. So with those two kind of people kind of coming up in that household, you end up spending a lot of time talking and thinking and in, in nonprofits and around people that are like doing the, who are change makers. I, that, that wasn't even a word back then, but who are, who are change makers? Uh-huh. <laughs> Do that kind of work. So I always kind of was around it and always was inspired by that kind of work as well. You were so um, I ended up studying Spanish and international studies as an undergraduate because I just loved the idea of looking at culture and looking at the African diaspora in different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow became interested in looking at it in the specifically within the workplace because I was experiencing so many things in the workplace that I had questions about. And I was like, hmm. And I met one of my, I met my soon to become PhD advisor, saw that she was doing really cool research on diversity. And I was like, why didn't I get to do that? Mm-hmm. And the rest, as they say, is history, right? I just started to work with her and met other researchers that were doing really cool research and started to kind of continuously hone in on my specific interests. Mm-hmm. Well-being has always been a part of my um interest as well because my mom like I said was at the YWCA she loved to work out loved fitness would always be talking about like how to take care of yourself and all these things and so I didn't realize it then but it was always being kind of like it was woven through my narrative um and I didn't even know I was going to end up becoming somebody that was like really really interested in it yeah Um, the way you describe it actually sounds like it's more like something coming out of you rather than something you said oh i'm gonna do this thing right and mm -hmm. it actually we talked about grandmothers a, a minute ago and it you know it is interesting how sometimes you can do a thing and then someone puts a word to it like Mm -hmm. the time i visited my grandma in the old folks home and before I was a social worker, she introduced me to her old buddy and said, um, this is my granddaughter, Anna. She's a social worker. And mm-hmm. then close to me and said, because that's what you are, honey. And I had, oh. never, I had never heard that word before, right? And, you know, um, it's interesting to hear about some of the, the traditions that were passed on in your family. So is the workplace, is that kind of a new, in terms of 31 flavors of community and service and all of that um it almost reminds me of that that fred rogers quote of when bad things happen you know tell little kids look around there's always a caretaker there um and this is how perhaps the overlap in some of the work we do i i think it of well who takes care of the caretakers Mm -hmm. um and when you i'm curious to hear you speak to some of your research on um, inequity and inclusion in the workplace because a lot of times their caretakers are carrying on double, triple, quadruple burden mm-hmm. and can take care of the, a lot of, you know, tell me about the overlap between caretaker and change maker mm-hmm. and affect change with the caretaker. You're actually yeah. 
of bang for your buck. You're, you know, are you finding that in your research or? Yeah, I love the way you said that. Mm -hmm. I love the way you worded it because that's like, that is a critical question is who takes care of the person that's trying to take care of the community? Who's trying to take care of, you know, society? Um, so the way that um, I, the kind of aha came about because I was working on my dissertation and that's where I started to realize the connection between what I was studying, what I was finding in, this, in the findings, and then my own personal observations of folks who were, who would now be called change makers, right? <laughs> um, including my own father. So my dissertation is on um, job coaches and social enterprise leaders for people with autism and related disabilities. And I frame it within the theory of stigma um, and not so like looking at how the non-stigmatized can help to create more inclusive and equitable environments for folks that are a part of a stigmatized group. And I, it's qualitative. It's, it's, it's inductive. So I went out into, I did interviews over the phone um, and would travel to different sites and talk to people about their work. And I started to see themes come up that I wasn't quite expecting, which is, a, I guess, the beauty of qualitative research. Themes about like the challenges that were really emotional, <laughs> you know, like, like people feeling like, oh my gosh, this is, and like, this is a lot of pressure on me and on my personal life. And this is what I, and I would, and I somehow, I didn't even know this was going to happen, of course, but when that would come up, I would be like, so what do you do? Like, how do you manage that part of your life? Like, forget, okay, the work, you're, you're, you're definitely doing that well, and you're so committed to that. But how do you manage the fact that, like, this is, like, there's this pressure that you feel that you are, that your time really is not your own because you feel like you are, t that, it, that this is like your first priority, this is your first responsibility. I was really, really intrigued by that. Mm -hmm. And so these really human aspects around the work started to come up more than I, and more emotional aspects. Like I was okay with the more cognitive strategies that I thought would come up, but the emotional <laughs> challenges and the emotional strategies that ended up coming up surprised me. And at first I kind of was like, no, that's not a thing, but you, it's something that I couldn't deny when it came up over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I started to realize, oh, you know, actually this is very common across groups, be it disability, race, gender, social, um, social class, sexual orientation. I'm pretty sure that no matter what cause a person is really, really passionate about in helping to make a change in terms of making a more equitable society, no matter what group that they are, really like on the side of mm -hmm. they feel this way like they I, and i can recall like seeing my dad work really long hours. <laughs> like this was like his thing you know and it was really really important for him that folks in the community were well taken care of you know what i'm saying and us worrying about like are you okay though like is your health okay and yeah. he's fine right but also like worrying about like seeing how the weight of the world can really can, can really fall upon the shoulders of the person who is out there trying to make a change and help out the community. Yeah. When you say this, you know, let's define our terms. When you say this, are you talking about, you know, burnout? Are you talking about survivor's guilt? You know, being real up close and personal with seeing bad things happen and having some capacity to give and you know if you've got a little wiggle room your capacity to give is one of the only things so your self-care mm -hmm. you know is that what, what word would you use to describe you know going through this what is 
you know, oh yeah I would say feeling experience, you know what do you call that like just I don't know if it would be survivor's guilt I think it's a it's a certain kind it's feel it sounds like a certain kind of pressure around mm-hmm. helping and being mm-hmm. successful in creating a certain kind of change mm-hmm. right so um and then but because of that lacking time to do the things that maybe I was taking for granted, like sleeping a good seven or eight hours a night or eating three meals a day, right? Or um, taking care of my mental health um, because the, the cause is so important. And I really, 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 really want this cause. I really, really want my initiative to be successful. I'm gonna sacrifice everything that has to do with me in yeah. order to like do this work. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. It's almost like, you know, if if a stockbroker goes to work, you can tell if they're being successful by, you know, the amount of equity and dollars in the bank. That's real clear. If you're a change maker and you're trying to create change um, on a societal level, that's very complex. And sometimes the metrics for success are more complicated, slow moving. It's more about the process rather than outcome and mm-hmm. and it's more emotional the process of the, the process itself is more emotional because the reason why you're doing the work has it's, it's always going to have some kind of emotional tenant to it some kind of something a little bit more personal to as to why you're doing it some kind of re- relationship to that to 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 the struggle it may not be the exact same struggle but you empathize on a deep level with somebody suffering so like there's a there's a deep level of compassion or what we might, might think of to be as compassion what we might confuse to be as compassion, like you really empathize with the with the group that you care for. But I say what we may think as compassion only because I know this from a personal experience is that we, it can't be compassion without having it for ourselves first, right? And so it's being pouring out, that, but it's, it's lacking some of the self-compassion, but it's a pouring out onto every everything that has to do with this cause because we care so much about it and because we relate to it so much and we can see the suffering so clearly and want to like mitigate it so much that everything else just kind of takes a back burner to causing this right so it's such an emotional i think it's very emotional work that makes it different from the traditional work that is studied in my in, in, in my field right i think any kind of caretaking job probably has a lot more emotional work because you're dealing with you're interfacing with people on such a well, it's intangible. It's a, it's emotional labor and you do have to Mm -hmm. people and, you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's an integration of different, you know, other ways of looking at things. So I'm, I'm curious to hear, you know, when, you know, this podcast is about translating therapy concepts for, you know, everyday self-care and it's interesting to hear you talk about kind of that question just kind of intrinsically came out of you almost like a, Mm -hmm almost like a human being or something, you know, how are you going to take care of yourself? You know, we have the instinctual capacity. I mean, just, isn't it interesting to notice that just kind of comes Mm. out of you? You know, we have a natural course, correct. Don't we to take care of ourselves. And then, and then at the same time, you know, whether people go to therapy or they hear it on a podcast or their sister's going to a really good therapist and you kind of, hear about it indirectly you know what do you wish people you know if you were to speak directly to the change makers that you 
you know, that you really enjoy working with, what do you wish they knew about therapy concepts, the therapy process, you know, mm. you know, what they could integrate into their own self-care or just know, you know, you talk about something that just kind of, whether it's a calling or a passion that comes out of you, mm -hmm. what do you want to encourage people to do to kind of feed and restore that, that compassion? Mm -hmm. um, and, and relate this to therapy? Well, what you've learned so far, or, you know, you've, you've seen some things and, you know, and you've seen it in the research context, you've seen it in the conversations that you've had. Mm -hmm. What do you, what do you wish a change maker knew about what you've learned so far? Mm -hmm. I, what I really want folks to know, and before I answer this question, uh -huh. uh, can I share the way I think about like how I, what, how, how I define change yes, makers? Please. Yeah. So <laughs> I feel like now change maker has become such a heavy word. It becomes like, it's a label that feels very like, oh, well, I'm not, I can't possibly be that because I'm only, all I do, quote unquote, right? All I do is, you know, help out my neighbor every once in a while. Or I have- Do you encounter that a lot? Do people do you hear? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. A lot of pushback on because it, it seems it seems like it has to be so big. It seems like it has to be something that is so big and grandiose, like changing the world. Where I I think that it I think that um, and I have to credit Brianna Dorellis from Connecting the Cause. Right, she was speaking at a program that I was um, hosting, and she said, you know, um, if you are here on this earth, you are a change maker because you've been purposed to do something to create some kind of change. And I really appreciated her saying that because I, because everybody in the room, I think, was kind of hesitant to claim that, to claim that role as somebody who is a change maker. And I, and I totally agree, right? That if you, um, if you're here, there's something, there's something in you that can do, make a change. It could be small. It could be a change in somebody's life that nobody ever knows about. Nobody else has to know about it. It doesn't have to be on social media. <laughs> and you could be a change maker, or you could be like, we could do a huge like community or city, state country global thing that's a change making activity as well so yeah. it could be it so i think of all of us when i say change maker i'm basically saying human being <laughs> oh. and um and so what i wish that we as human beings who are here to create some kind of systematic social change and wh wherever we are um i wish that we knew that our own taking care of ourselves, taking time away from the work to rest and to restore and to rejuvenate in whatever way we need to. Be it therapy, talk therapy, be it um, spending quality time with family and friends, be it watching a movie, <laughs> taking a good two or three hours away from social media, be it hanging out, you know, like these seemingly small things, right? Folding our laundry. <laughs> One of my friends who's a therapist, Dr. Ayanna Abrams, always mentions that. She's like, sometimes it's just folding my laundry. It's just getting that done, you know? Like, taking time away to, to do those things that are actually a little bit more restorative can't actually make our work more sustainable. I think that we believe that if we have to just keep going, 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 because if we don't, who will? And if we don't, then our work won't be sustained. But I wish that we understood, me included, and I could. I wish I could incorporate this every day instead of just 
once or twice a week, right? That in order for our work to be sustained, that we have to be intentional about sustaining ourselves mm-hmm. throughout the process. And I know it's really hard. It's one thing to say it, but it's, I, I know it's really, really hard to incorporate into daily life. Can I ask you a question about mm-hmm. that? So, um, you know, people do all different kinds of therapies and have ways of looking at it. So one of the therapies I do is dialectical behavior mm-hmm. therapy. Mm-hmm. I find it really um, helpful because it's it's one of the third wave mm-hmm. therapies. And what that means for folks who aren't, you know, psych students is um, it blends other traditional forms of therapy that are seen as change-based therapies like cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, helps you untwist your thinking. And what I, what really helps me as a, I, you know, would like to be part of change. You know, I'd be honored to be part of change in a positive direction. And what DBT has taught me is there's a complementary skill set of acceptance. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's called a dialectic is because mm-hmm. it's not either or, it's a both and. And, you know, people are finally talking about burnout prevention. And I, I, I think millennials are teaching us a lot about self-care and giving mm-hmm. us that we can use, which is so great. And I, I do feel like, um, you know, this is very cross-cultural in a lot of ways, but just productivity is kind of nipping at our heels. And a lot of times people even think about relaxation um, and burnout prevention as kind of a means to an end, mm-hmm. to getting restored and going back to work. Ezra Klein is doing a bunch of interviews about this on his podcast, and I mm-hmm. love it so much. And I wonder if there's anything that you want to say to change makers who you know, maybe they have, maybe they're new to thinking of themselves as change makers and it's great. Now there's a word for it and they have a mission. And do you want to say anything to those folks about, you know, acceptance or any complementary skills that you've learned? Um, in, yeah, in terms of rest and, you know, getting your mojo back, you know, I, I think it's, interesting to think about the difference between like dbt calls it the difference between doing mind and being mind is mm-hmm. there something to learn from not doing change for the sake of not doing change and is there learning in that mm-hmm. i think that there is because we because we live in a culture of doing so much that and doing the doing the opposite that in and of itself is is a change. And if you believe, I, uh, if, if if you can, if you begin to accept yourself as you are without getting anything else done, right? Doing nothing else. Say this is the last thing you're go- you're ever going to accomplish. I'm done, right? Can you begin? Can can you accept yourself as you are in this moment as being enough, as not letting the work that you we're planning on doing in the future dictate your worthiness of being here and being and being enough and being okay, right? Like that in that in and of itself, and saying you know I'm not saying like go and just quit your work, right? But saying like in this moment, even if I didn't do anything, I would still be valuable, a valuable person. So mm-hmm. the theory that I study is stigma theory, and the reason why I study stigma theory so much is because of its definition rooted in values, 
And stigma is basically devaluation, this idea that you are not worthy, that you are not valuable being in this place, in this moment. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I think, so speaking to your idea of acceptance and DBT that kind of helps that is to say, you know, no, actually, I'm good. Even though, even if I didn't do that, I would be okay. <laughs> like, and I can actually just be here. And that is enough for, um, for that, that, that is enough as change making. If I could give one example, um, have you heard of the NAP ministry? I don't think so. I don't know. The NAP ministry. I don't think so. So it's, it's a, it is a phenomenal example of just being and self-care and how that is, is a way of um, making change. Taking a nap, basically. Taking a nap. Taking oh, a nap. nap. Say it again, the nap makers? or the, No, the nap ministry. Oh, the nap ministry. Because yeah. I can see the nap makers and the change makers like mm -hmm. our neighbors to each other. That would be the great. The nap ministry is like, and I think that um, the... The woman's name who started her name is Trisha. Uh, she, she, um, I think that she's done work with change makers, but don't. I'm not. I'm not sure. I recently started following her. I'm a huge fan of the work that she's doing. She's here in Atlanta now, and I just went to one of her nap ministry um, kind of. She has collective napping where uh -huh. you go for an hour from 12 to like 12:45 to a nice yoga studio here in Atlanta, and you just take a nap she leads a service like a, it's, a, it's like a church it's like a mini church service but it's not religious it's just like our religion is taking a nap right now yeah and it gives you a lot of the same key ingredients that if you like religion mm -hmm. and like ceremony and community and being next to a, a warm person yeah like 15 20 people in a room and you just lie down you don't have to go to sleep if you don't want to you can you can meditate you can do but it's so powerful to think that just by being in this moment Mm -hmm. and then just accepting it and you know how hard it is to actually go and take a nap at 12 for a lot for me it was like what and then go back to work right like but to actually just stop for a little bit and just be and accept that in this as as I am in this moment yeah well when you say that your description I mean the words that pop into my mind um I mean it sounds like unconditional love mm -hmm. uh, which whew, that's a that is a tough one and uh why not start with your with yourself and that is mm -hmm. you know there's a dialectic in there a paradox in that you can't observe something without changing it no mm -mm. and and it's if for for folks who who have a little bit of um i don't know the word resistance to the to the term of self-care uh-huh because it sounds i think to some people selfish <laughs> isolated yep. and very very isolating yeah um there is an idea of like community caring and how in caring for yourself there are ways to also um yeah. ripple that whole like ripple effect for other people to care for themselves as well but the, and and the nap the nap ministry just reminded me the power of um kind of self-care in community all right we're all taking care of ourselves together and how powerful that can be yeah right just to, like be in the space if can you imagine like 15 20 change makers saying we know we have we've done all these things out there and we have plenty of other things to do but like right now we're just gonna sit here and take a nap and that in and of itself is powerful <laughs> yeah i mean that's radical because it's radical honestly when i think of 
some of the nonprofits I've worked with in 20 years, some of the most macho and competitive environments were change maker environments. Mm -hmm. they, they knew how to make change and they had some good ideas and they, for some very personal reason, they have a fire in their belly to do so, which is great. That's why we want them on the front lines. Um, and it's hard to turn that skill set inward. It, it, it does feel in a way counterintuitive and, and, and how do we accidentally reinforce that? You know, we, we mm -hmm. have people stand up in meetings and we say, oh, so-and-so is really dedicated. They stayed and worked till 11 p.m. Exactly. You know, do we really want to call that um, a success? Exactly. <laughs> you know, and, right. and hold each other accountable. Yes. So yes. it sounds like it's kind of like the prisoner's dilemma. Do you know that old econ, mm -hmm. right? Like if mm -hmm. I kind of sell you out, I get off versus if you sell me out, you get off. But, you know, self-care is a little bit that way. I can't just do it by myself because it does feel selfish and isolating. Mm -hmm. um, for it to feel okay, I need to see you doing it. Mm -hmm. So what have you found, you know, you've studied organizations. What have mm -hmm. you found to be the most helpful things that managers, um, but even, you know, being a change maker, like you said, it doesn't have to be a certain title that comes with it. If you speak to agents of change in the workplace setting, what do you wish they held in consideration? Um, you know, what, what could they do on a very practical level to mm -hmm. keep some of the things we've talked about in mind? You know, if we had a movie camera in the workplace, how would we know whether they had heard this mm -hmm. podcast conversation? not you know what would what would those managers do yeah i i i like what you were talking about in terms of like basically the way that i would say what you were saying about what happens in workplaces is like there aren't cultures that they're not there are not organizational cultures that necessarily support this idea of self-care which is why you have people that what that whole idea of kind of praising somebody who stays all night and doesn't sleep that's that's not a culture that's gonna um, support self-compassion, self-care, any of these practices that we're talking about taking care of yourself. So I would say the exact opposite, <laughs> right? So what I think what are, what's needed are um, manage management practices that are a little bit there are a lot there are more compassionate, especially in nonprofit types of settings or any kind of setting where people that where you want people to cre create more sustainable and positive changes, which means having a manager that actually praises the fact that you're taking care of yourself, that has check-ins that, you know, but like where the actual um, evaluation or the like, or the one-on-one -on -one meetings include things like, okay, so how, you know, how, how are you, <laughs> um, do you, you know, making sure that um, asking about things like burnout or kind of, if either they don't ask, paying attention for signs of burnout and allowing people, making a safe space, people to feel comfortable to come and say you know i think i need to take a day off and being and being having a response ready that demonstrates that you understand and that you totally support them taking that time off to take care of themselves because you know that when they as they come back that means that they are ready and that they don't feel like they're just being there because they have to be there um, there's a really great book by monica warline and jane dutton called compassion at work and it, it offers all kinds of suggestions about um, how to create basically from interpersonal all the way to or 
organizational cultures of compassion. And mm-hmm. I definitely, we read it as part of, as one of our first book clubs for the good, for the Institute for Good Work, uh, like a year and a half ago. And I loved it because of all, because of the suggestions that it offers in terms of just, there are these little things or little, little words that managers can, turn, can, but they have to adopt them genuinely, right? You can't just say it, people right. have to feel it. Um, that can help people feel like it's a safe space to actually take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so one-on-one meetings, um, and, you know, having uh, lunch, um, encouraging people to actually take a lunch, right? Not praising people that don't take care of themselves yeah. is uh, very important. Uh, showing genuine care for somebody, asking how they're doing, how their family's doing, things of that nature, and supporting people who do say that they are having a rough time. I don't know if you saw that um, there's a really cool post on social media a couple of years ago about a woman who I think told her manager that she was experiencing mental health and the way that the manager responded. I was like, this is a great example of, you know, what we're talking about. It only makes sense. I mean, it only, if you need to think about the financials, it's, I mean, it only is more bang for your buck for it's true. To take of their brain health, if you want to look at it from a kind of moral compassion perspective, mm-hmm. if you just want to think about, you know, sustaining yourself in your career and having impact. Um, and yet it's still hard, right? Mm-hmm. With all the brain science we do have on self-care, um, it's, um, it's pretty slow. Mm-hmm. We need, it takes a while. We need it's- some change makers. It takes a while we do, one at a time, right? <laughs> and, you, and, and you do a lot of work in inclusion and inequity. Mm-hmm. Talk to, for a moment, if you would, if you could, you know, talk to all the therapists out there coming up in their grad school programs and who gets mm-hmm. a chance to go to grad school and who gets, fun, you know, uh, subsidized to do that and who doesn't and, um you know, is there anything that you wish therapists knew about working with change makers that, um, you know, what, what would help um, a change maker to feel welcome and, and received in, you know, the 15 minutes of a counseling session or a group? That's a good question. I, so I can speak to this, um, to the initiatives of the Institute for Good Work and some of the research that I do because it's all around equity and inclusion. And the focus there is on um, therapists, mental health providers to really be mindful of of, of being culturally competent and culturally relevant. Mm -hmm. So understanding um, the historical differences for folks who who may be a change maker of color so at the good work we focus on change makers of color of raising funds for them for culturally relevant and competent therapists. So it's so important to be able to walk into a space, a safe space of therapy, and be able to talk about the historical, racialized, and gendered for women of color, right? Um, um, ex- experiences in the workplace, and mm-hmm. to be able to feel like the person that they're speaking to understands that, and that they can even say it. Right, that they don't have to wear masks. Also, in the in that in that setting as well, yeah. around the things that are that 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 they feel are not only happening to them, but have been historically happening throughout past generations that they are a part of as well, and that are unique experiences 
to people of color and to change makers of color in the work in, in, in their places of work. I think so for me that is extremely, extremely important for um for therapists, mental health providers to keep that in mind when um when they're going through their training and really be like see it as a like seeing it as a really important um like part of their education, not a tangential part of their education, but like something that is right there like that needs to be a part of every other class in every class and every part of my training wondering like so what does this mean for different cultures how does this style how how might this apply for somebody who's coming from a historically marginalized um traumatized kind of um social group yeah, I remember in grad school, a lot of the like quote unquote diversity texts were written by white therapists telling you how to serve folks of color coming into counseling centers. Mm-hmm. And in my class, there is just it was such a disservice because, um, you know, what about the therapists of color serving white clients coming in and you know, all the different um, cross cultural conversations. Right. And 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 the expense of having to spend 20 minutes of your session explaining it to your therapist mm-hmm. so that they can um, just catch up to the baseline of what it might be like to navigate your experience. Mm-hmm. And that's if you even feel comfortable enough saying it. Right. You know, if you even feel comfortable enough being like mentioning that, that this one marker of difference that's going to immediate, that you may feel immediately is going to put up a barrier between your therapist and yourself. Right. And right. so, so, really wanting to be able to uh, have them because I am not a therapist and I have not gone to school for any kind of mental health or therapy. I don't know what kind of classes people have. I just know from my own personal experience and things that I'm very thankful for culturally relevant and culturally competent therapists where somehow they've created a space where I never felt like I couldn't mention it. Yeah. And when I do, it's, like you said, it's very much so like, it's not having to explain it, explain all the layers. It's like, oh yeah, definitely. (laughs) Got that. Okay. Yeah. And there, I think you do have to, whether your program offers it or not, you, oftentimes people have to kind of seek out that training for themselves. And there are a lot Mm -hmm. of good resources. Like, um, I think dismantling white fragility is a really good one. Um, You know, there are a lot of texts that you can go to, so you're not Kind of tokenizing your client and asking them to overrepresent their experience. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds really good. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I love the work that you're doing. Um, it's kind of like that old saying, doctor heal thyself, you know, mm-hmm. just um, putting yourself in spaces where you're finding uh, change makers. The overlap I hear in the work that you're doing, that's kind of why I picked burnout prevention is a specialty. There's some overlap in that because Mm -hmm. one, I like the prevention approaches, you know, let's not wait till someone has a diagnosis and they qualify through the insurance system that, you know, the person's already kind of sick and struggling at that point. Um, But change makers offer the same kind of approach, right? So if you can teach a man to fish, you can help that whole community. And Mm -hmm. um, I love just the respectfulness that you bring to uh, honoring each and every person's vision and just kind of knowing that it's in there whether you like it or not and (laughs) um, holding space for it so 
you know, before we close for today, is there anything that um, you want to say that you're learning now about your own self-care or burnout prevention in the profession or, you know, sometimes it's tempting to speak um, in past tense and things that we've already conquered for ourselves, but, you know, I take a lot of meaning and inspiration from the fact that we're in, in the midst of learning right now. So um, anything you want to share that you're reading right now, learning, thinking about? Yeah, I love this question. Thank you so much for including it. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm like over here talking and I'm like, I am steadily learning new things and I'm relearning them. Yeah. It's never um, static, right? It's a, it's a process. And that's a part of life to kind of like, okay, I've, I've learned about this, uh, this kind of area of burn, like, for, for example, burnout, and then I tend to work a lot on an overwork. So now there are so many points within like a month where I'm reminded, like, wait a minute, pump the brakes, right? <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> so funny to be like, I covered that in therapy, but it's like, but you're still covering it now. <laughs> and you to like... It's never over. It's just that you yeah. just become aware of it, right? And you can, and isn't that the fun part? That's the fun part. I'm like, there's that makes life so interesting to me because it's like, I will always have something. Honestly, there will always be something to kind of like, to always be able to grow in and to work on. And it's and it's focused on me, right? So it's it's about developing this whole like relationship with self over the course of life and realizing that it's it's very humbling to be like it's never done. So don't, don't think you've got to figure it out. It's never done. And so one of the things that has been helpful for me in the past year has been, um, I've started back practicing um, yoga and meditation on a very consistent basis. Mm. And I, um, I go to a studio here in Atlanta called Sacred Chill West. And it's owned by Octavia Rahim and Meryl Arnett. And they are two very powerful and wonderful women who have who are very um, committed to creating a space where people chill, like chill and like reclaiming the importance of chilling out. So very runs parallel to the idea of the nap ministry, I think, in many ways. Like they have really cool complementary aspects of both entities, right? So at Sacred Chill West, it's not this whole idea of like hot, you know, and hot yoga is great. I'm, it, there's nothing, I'm nothing. Whatever works. Whatever right? works. But I think having, having some, somewhere else to go, if you are like, you know what, I've done three hot yoga sessions today. I think I need to lay down. <laughs> I think I need to do a little bit of still, have some stillness practices. And uh -huh. so they, they offer a wide range. They offer, you know, flow, more active yoga classes, and they offer stillness. And being a part of their community has really, it, I didn't know that there was any other option for yoga mm. until I joined their community. And I'm like, what do you mean? These like yin, what, what is that yin? Restorative yoga, what is that? You know, mm. and actually creating a practice, a more um, consistent practice around being still at their studio has been very complimentary to my therapy sessions. Like I'll be there. Mm -hmm. And I have something will come up in my stillness and I can take it out journal about it right to there. You know what I'm saying? And so it's been, and it, and it helps me to remember like, oh, you're getting back into that work, that, that you know, overworking. Yeah. Sometimes my practices there help me to, they help me to stay aware and stay present and to be mindful of what it is I'm doing. And that's happened over the past, I would say about a year and a half. And I'm really grateful for it. So I would recommend um, 
if folks are interested in it and okay with it, like wherever they are, if they want to compliment or just start something to help to infuse their self-care, um, you know, that med- meditation, mind, especially mindfulness meditation. For sure. mm-hmm. I love that. It's been helpful for me for the past year and a half. So. Yeah, you're, you're describing a quality of experience that people might find kayaking, hiking, mm-hmm. even gentle hug, right? You know, in just the right sport, you know, you're, you're, I think it's a a centered quality to let Mm -hmm. tap into, you know, what, what needs to be seen, heard. Mm -hmm. Um, I I remember going to a, I I was terrified to do this, but I went to my first silent retreat last Mm -hmm. year and you just met me, but you can probably guess I don't mind talking. And so this was really terrifying for me. And the first day I was there, I, you know, I know a little bit about meditation. I'm not an expert, um, but there's kind of, I I let myself just do a lazy form of just letting myself think whatever thoughts needed to be thought before I really settled into the more meditative, observing things as they come and letting them go. Um, You know, and if I, I'm glad I had that experience and that I got over the fear of sitting with my own thoughts because I I now know what that sensation feels like of, Mm. you know, just kind of watching them come and go. And it felt a little bit like clearing the pipes a little bit. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, I got to this other kind of mindfulness um, state with it. But um, yeah, it was really nice to see what was floating around in there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, some of it was the taxes and some of it was, um, I need to call Aunt Mary and some of it was, man, I'm jet lagged and, you know, mindfulness retreat, I thought we'd be outside. We're staring at a wall, wondering how much it's going to cost to get out of here, right? But, you know, I just sat with it and I, versus I would have been tempted to do a to-do list and do something about it and Excel spreadsheet and you know, I learned something new about myself from just kind of sitting with it. Mm-hmm. So whether you find that practice in a yoga class or call oh, yeah. your mom on the weekend or mm-hmm. dancing, you, know, you should look for it, right? You know, that that's what mindfulness is. It's paying attention. So mm-hmm. thank you, Tiffany, for your time. If anyone wants to find you, where should they follow you? Website, anything else that you would, you know, point out if folks want to learn more about you and the work that you do yes they can find me the best place would be on instagram at, at the good work all one word the good work and then um my website is www.tiffanydawnjohnson.com just my name tiffanydawnjohnson.com and um yeah thank you so much for having me on here i really enjoyed uh talking to you about things i don't get to talk about as much my research. <laughs> so. It's fun to talk shop, isn't it? So thank you as well. It was a pleasure. And if folks have questions um, for Tiffany, find her tiffanydonjohnson.com. If you have questions about therapy resources, concepts, check out therapyforreallife.com. In the meantime, enjoy whatever self-care practice you landed on, and we'll talk to you next time. Have a great day.